0: The show! You have all made it through the damn man. You have all made it, made it, made it. Coming to you from the X Access. It's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 288. Your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, a special podcast. How special? Justice Special. That's right. I've got sisters and co-founders of the Justice Special podcast, Rachel and Natasha Paparol. This is a phenomenal connection. This is my third episode focused on foster care. I've done one previously with Sherry Shink. I've done another one with Justin Finesilver. This one is a little bit different. I was introduced to these two by Kevin and Art at the Discussion Combustion Podcast. A couple of great guys, been on the show twice, been on their show twice. We exchange guests with each other when we go, Hey, you know who you should talk to? This person. Their show, Just As Special, focuses on foster care from diverse perspectives. They're the only female BIPOC podcast about foster care. Natasha is a foster mom to a teen girl. Rachel is a foster care volunteer, a mentor, and a volunteer at a women's prison. Their show... Is all about debunking foster care myths and keeping it real without any sugarcoating. If you haven't listened to it, it's phenomenal. And on this week's show, we dig into why foster care? What compelled them to get involved in this? They're both service-oriented, they both care about their communities, and they both want to give 110% to everything they do. But I dig into why foster care. And then we talk about some of the nitty-gritty, some of the issues that come up. Rachel shares what it was like to walk into prison for the first time. Something I personally can't imagine. I've never been behind the bars. I've never had any meaningful experience with prison. And so that insight to me alone was fascinating. We also talk about issues pertinent to foster care. How invasive it is to get certified to be a foster parent. Sometimes not knowing what resources are available to you. Issues like the savior complex. There's a whole lot in here and I just feel so blessed that I get to bring this to you because they're amazing conversationalists. They have tremendous insight and they're doing the work. So they are women after my own heart. I pride myself on being someone who's not afraid to get in there, ask the tough questions, and dig the ditch. They're very much the same way. So I'm thrilled that I get to use my tiny little sphere of influence here in the big, vast internet to highlight their story and elevate it wherever I can. Be sure to check out their show at justaspecial.com and podcatchers everywhere. We will get to their conversation in just a second. But first, just a reminder, if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcatcher, Please take a moment, hit that subscribe button, and brand new episodes will come directly to you. And as long as you're there, leave us a rating, leave us a review. These are really simple and quick ways of supporting the shows that you love. Because ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they all go into the algorithm, and that helps our visibility. So, if you could take a second and do that, I'd be deeply appreciative. Episodes of the John of All Trades podcast come out every Wednesday, and episode previews are exclusive to Facebook. That's on Mondays. The handle is J-O-A-T-Pod. That's true across social media platforms, so whether you're talking about Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, or Instagram, J-O-A-T pod is the place to get in touch with me. Now then, let's get to episode 288 of the John of All Trades podcast, featuring Natasha and Rachel Pepperell, sisters and the founders of the Justice Special podcast. We talk all things foster care, and their episode starts right now.
1: That's a good way to get your errands done while also having fun. You might need an Uber on the way home.
0: (laughs) Well, you can't carry it around with you, though. It's confined to this one area.
1: Oh, okay. But
0: it's also right next to the cheese shop. So sometimes I'll bring samples of cheeses. I think they sell a lot of cheese that way.
1: Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, it's killer. Sign me up. Yeah. Sign me up for that. Let me know where that is. I'm going later.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, I hope you like Dell Web communities. And living in Arizona, I'm sure you're familiar with those. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's within the walls. So Natasha, what about you? What's a, what's a Thursday like for you?
2: Um, yeah. So recently I started taking a pottery classes, pottery class on Thursdays. So it's a wheel throwing class. So I'm learning how to do pottery, which is a little harder than I thought, but it's a lot of fun. And then, um, my job really changes day to day. You know, we have the podcast, we have learning portal, um, we're working on launching a resource database. So it's just whatever needs to get done with that as well. And then um I crossfit almost every weekday,
0: so Okay. So you're
2: I lift a little bit, yeah. So so you're a little bit which means a lot.
0: (laughs) So you're CrossFitter, uh I do orange theory. Okay. Which I really like because I cannot work out that hard on my own.
2: Yes, exactly. And then, you know, there'll be days I look at the workout and I'm like, how is that even humanly possible? But then everyone's (laughs) doing it, you know? So I'm like, well, I guess I'm doing it too. So for sure.
0: Dude, there's there's a woman in my class who is probably at least 10 years older than me, probably 20. And like, she's been next to me the last few workouts. And I go, okay, it's time to work. And so like, I underestimated that about group fitness. Like you will get yourself off the ground When you see other people working so hard, am I right?
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so competitive too. And we write everyone's times on the board. Oh, geez. So you can like look and see who's gone before you that day. So yeah, it really lights the fire for sure.
0: Yeah, 100%. So uh, I mean, the two of you, I've always like, since we've met and we've met only virtually, this is the first time we've actually ever had a conversation, but in reading up on you both, I am so impressed with the work that you're both doing, and that's why I was thrilled to do this podcast. So this is Natasha and Rachel Pepperell. You are the hosts of the Justice Special podcast, as well as a bunch of other things. So instead of me just reading your resume down, can you tell me kind of about the origin of the podcast and how that ties into the other work that you're doing?
2: Sure. So the podcast really started when I was in foster parenting training and I was looking for other resources to learn more because I was going to be a first-time parent through foster care. And, you know, I looked at all the other foster parenting podcasts out there and I felt like they were all from one perspective and that there wasn't a lot of diversity within that. You know, Rachel and I were women of color. Our mom is an immigrant from Iran. And so also when I looked into at my class and the people in my class, I'm like, you know, there's a lot of single people doing this. There's a lot of like interracial couples and, you know, where are their stories, right? Being told. So that's how we um, got the idea. Rachel volunteers in a women's prison. She's also um, a mentor to foster kids. So, I was like, rather than me talking to a mic, boring everybody, let's, let me bring her on. <laughs> right. We can talk about this together and every episode we interview somebody different. And we're, like I said, we're really interested in those diverse perspectives, you know, like some sex couples, you know, former foster kids, you know, gay former foster kids, um, all of that. So, um, we really feel like, you know, we're, we're better together when we can be diverse and share those really powerful stories, right? That's what transforms yeah. is, is people's stories.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny because my entry into foster parenting was through corporate. So I did, like, I was, I managed a charitable giving portfolio for the company that I used to work for. And a couple of the big things that we worked with were Tennyson Center, who was recently in the news for unfortunate reasons, and also Rocky Mountain Children's Law Foundation. And we did work through them and that opened me up. And anytime you go to a gala, they always feature someone's story. Someone comes up there and speaks and someone talks. And right after that, that's when they ask you to open your checkbooks. And so when you can highlight those stories, that really motivates change. Uh, and I think about something that Roger Ebert said, you know, famous movie critic. He said, oddly enough, the more personal a story is, paradoxically, the more universal it becomes. I mean, representation matters. That's something I know in my bones as well. As soon as you can see that, You go, okay, I have an added sort of dimension of humanity that I can latch on to. And that motivates people to change. And that's what I hear you saying. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think beyond that too is just being transparent and saying, you know, we're learning. This is a journey for us too. I think that really has a lot of impact on others as well. But also, too, like, that's a main reason why we did it. You know, we could have these conversations independently and not have this be a podcast. But, you know, I think that, you know, Natasha going through the foster care classes and becoming a parent, everyone was very curious. And so just realizing that and being like, well, I think a lot of people would actually really benefit from hearing, you know, our independent journeys.
0: I think that's really powerful. And I'm curious for both of you. So, Rachel, you... You've served as a teen mentor. You work in uh, a women's prison, Natasha. You went through the foster care program, the system. Um, what compelled you both to get involved in this way?
1: Being curious and trying to do better—that's um, something that Natasha and I consistently are. Is we're always very curious. We always want to not just do a hundred percent. Like we're very much one hundred and ten percent. We're very competitive in ourselves. And so realizing that, you know, we have the ability to learn about this and make a difference. I think that was just something that we wanted to do this a hundred percent and doing it a hundred percent also meant reaching out to others, hearing other people's stories and seeing what else we could do.
0: Well, Rachel, I want to push you a little bit on that just in the way that why this particular thing. Because, I mean, there's a lot of ways where, you know, people can make a difference and everyone kind of chooses their lane. What was it about this particular lane that really compelled you and really called to you?
1: Um, Well, specifically talking about women's prison um, and being a volunteer there, what had the passion there is just, I don't think it's. An avenue that people really talk about. I think that, you know, when you go to prison, there's not much reformation that happens. And so just seeing people continuously going through the cycle. And I feel like that was something that I always had a passion for and a curious mindset of, well, how come we don't do more reformation? And so, you know, I, at first it was reading books and just being curious about what happens in prison. Um, and then realizing that I could get involved and I could. You know, go behind the bars and I could um, make a difference within that. I think that's something that I just always had a passion for and just curious about that, what that looked like behind bars. Um, and then I think once I got behind bars, it was very much because I did, you know, I, I started volunteering at a woman's prison before I was a mentor to foster kids. I think hearing the stories of the women behind the bars, a lot of times the conversation when we were like, okay, well, now here's an hour of what do you guys want to talk about? It was like nine out of 10 times they all wanted to talk about their children. And so that was something too that then we're like, we need to make this a bigger focus of talking about what it's like to be a parent when you're away and what that looks like. And a lot of those women that I was volunteering with, they actually... To different things within, like, group homes, they would, um, visit the kids there, just, they were just involved within foster care. And I feel like what is actually kind of interesting is a lot of the people that are volunteers behind bars, they also are somehow involved within foster care because it's really like you can't see one without the other. I think it's a very, it's a very connected, it's it's just so integrated with each other and the connection between the two, you can't talk about one without talking about the other. Um, so I think my passion for reformation then also became a passion for foster
0: kids. No, and I think that makes good sense. And Natasha, I'm going to come to you in a second, but one one other thing I want to ask about is a lot of people don't have, particularly of certain social strata and you know, with certain levels of privilege don't understand what prison actually looks like. And we have a very fearful and ignorant kind of posture when it comes to prison. Were you, when you went in, were you fearful or like, what, what was your feeling on going into that? And when you went in, how did your expectations match reality of what women's prison was actually like?
1: Yeah. I love that you asked that because... You know, going behind bars, I went to a maximum Clarity Prison and I didn't really know exactly what I was going to get in on. You know, I thought it was just going to be like, you know, going and, and it being more so like visitation. But I think it was the most terrifying thing of my entire life. And I'll always remember that day, the first time going, right? Like we went behind bars. It was like we were, once we hit the interior of the prison um, and the gates closed and the van drove off and then we had to get on another van to go to another area and we had to go through all these fences and all these securities. It was very terrifying that once I got off that bus and we were there and I looked around and the air just felt dirty. Like it felt like it was foggy. It felt like it was unclear. And I felt so much like pressure on my chest. And I just felt like there was so much sadness in the air that I could just feel. And I remember walking into the room and there was not like a security officer that was going to like stay in our room. And I remember I was just like scared. I was like, well, can like someone just stay? And they're like, well, here's a walkie talkie. Like you wanted to volunteer. So it's like wow. on your hands, what happens to you? I just remember I was like, okay, well, like I'm not holding the walkie talkie. Like I I can't do this. And the room got hot because again, it, it's in Arizona. It was a summertime. It was hot. And so we had to open up the door and we were our room was right next to the pharmacy so that meant that a lot of the inmates would get unlocked out of their cell and then they would go get their medicine so they're passing by us and I just remember like I was so scared and I was like can we just like shut the door but then I was like am I more scared of the people I'm in the room with or more scared of being outside or where people are walking but then it was just like that was my perception of jail is like, there are just tons of bad, bad people. Yeah.
0: And so it's, it's almost like you, you think, or you're afraid that you're getting dropped into a piranha tank. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so just like taking a deep breath and just saying, but these are all people. Like if I went to the grocery store, How are those people that are strangers different than the ones in prison? Like, it's not like someone's going to go kill me just because they're in behind bars. But it's, you know, I think it's a perception of what society tells you. Um, And so I felt, you know, I felt heartbroken that I had that mentality. Um, And so I kind of just took a deep breath. I step back a little bit. And then I think I was able to kind of put down my own walls and be present for the people there. Um, but I think if I wasn't, then I wouldn't be any benefit to them if I felt like I was better than them. So I think that was something that was challenging. And I think what's also challenging too is behind bars, you really have to have like your guards up. It's not like people can just freely have open relationships with whoever they want. You have to be realistic. There are people that know each other outside um, and there's a lot of issues within, you know, just how they communicate. So really what our workshop is, is a place for them to just talk about whatever truly is on their heart and to help them communicating, teaching what is communication, um, talking about all these different things. But It's also very – it's the only time that they have to really, I I would say, let out their feelings. So it's very heavy, I would say. So it's definitely something that leaves me – I feel like I'm pouring out. It's hard because that's the only time that they have to really be open, freely open.
0: Well, sure. And you, in that role, end up leaving a piece of yourself. And I know as someone who has facilitated – like I I do boot camp for new dads in my own very small way. I am always giving a piece of myself to anyone that I am teaching. Anytime you're teaching or mentoring or facilitating, you know, you are kind of a receptacle for people's vulnerability. And when you do that, you leave a piece with them no matter who it is. And so that's that's very challenging and what what you said was very very powerful. So that was it was fascinating to hear because I don't have a ton of first-hand experience with prison. And so hearing you describe that, I think is really elucidating in, in very interesting ways. So I, I appreciate that very much. So Natasha, I want to come to you. What compelled you to get involved in the foster care system? What, what's your journey into this and and why choose this?
2: Sure. So, um, I actually had the opportunity to live in Scotland, um, shortly after going to CSU. I know we're all CSU.
0: I'll oh, excellent. Here, which... Yes. We're all all rants. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And I lived with a Scottish family, and they had what I would describe as an open home. Like, you could tell that their home was just open to basically anybody who needed a space. And a lot of times those were people that probably didn't feel comfortable in, you know, the greater community for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, just like um, kid, like kids who were kind of outcasts or... Like, it was
2: more adults. But oh, yeah, adults, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, yeah, like, like um, someone... Yeah, like pe- people kind it's of on the margins, like yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, like for um, whatever reason, just are not either they they feel like they can't fit in or feel like they are unwelcome in mainstream society or like in sort of or
2: just on the fringes. Yeah, right, right, exactly. right.
0: Yeah, I get it. That
2: was like really cool for me to see. Like I had never seen something like that before, and I was like, you know what? One day I want to have that. You know, when I'm able to. So luckily, my partner he felt the same way. And we were like, all right, how do we want to do that? So we had thought about adoption, but then one of my friends, she worked at, um, one of the human resource centers, um, in the Rappahoe area. And she was like, why don't you come volunteer um, with our foster kids? And I was like, foster kids, that kind of sounds scary. Like yeah. I'm not a huge fan of kids, but I was like, oh, what, the, you know, what the heck, like I'll go and, and try it. And it, it was like really eye opening because I realized, you know, at the end of the day, you know, kids are kids. You know, they have, diff- they might have different behaviors or all of that, but just like how generous they were, even, it was just really touching to see. And I was like, wow, like here's this group of whole group of kids that I've, you know, super judged kind of similar to racial experience. Right. And yeah. like, been, I was like a little scared too, to go just to see it. I was like, you know, at the end of the day, kids are kids and like kids want adults in their lives who they feel respect them. And so, um, it kind of snowballed from there and we were like, you know, why don't we become foster parents? And so that's how that journey began.
0: So professionally, one of the clients I've worked with is Denver Human Services. Mm -hmm. And I worked with doing communications training for some of their foster care team. You know, folks who are right at the tip of the spear here, people will come in. They have to do that first kind of introduction. Here's what's expected of you. And like, it's it's a hard thing because one, you have to get people excited about being a foster parent, but also you cannot sell them a bill of goods um, about how difficult the process is. And it's very, very invasive in terms oh, it of is very be, invasive. becoming a, a foster care parent. Can you touch on that just a little bit?
2: Sure. Yeah. And your episode two with Justin Feinsilver. Is yeah. It? Yeah. He get, he went into that too. So I, I That's really just right, yeah. people go back and listen for sure. But yeah, it's very invasive. Like, But I think it's a good setup because if you're not used if you're not okay with people being all up in your business and this really (laughs) isn't right for you, you know what I mean? Cause you're going to have to be communicative with your team. There's a whole team that comes with a child when they're placed in your home, you're going to have to be really open and honest. And if you're not, you know, you could end up in hot water because you know, there's a lot of liability there for you and for them. So of course they're going to try to check their boxes as best they can. But yeah, it is, it is very invasive. Like they do what is called a home study. So for hours over the course of, you know, several days spread out over several weeks. They come to your home. If you're a partner, they'll like split you guys up part of the time and ask you guys the same question and like wow. compare the nose to see like how close you guys are. It, and like it's, it's almost like a parent interrogating siblings. Yes. yeah, a little <laughs> bit. And if you have kids, they'll actually age appropriately talk to your kids wow. as well. Yeah. Um, or in anyone else who lives in the home, um, if that's the case, you know, if there's like a grandparent or an uncle or something. It's like you're like um, joining
1: the FBI.
2: <laughs> kind of, yeah. Kind of, you know, you have to get recommendations from people, you know, they check a lot. They do really, really thorough background checks, so it's beyond just, you know, like a fingerprint check. Um and they ask you about like if your partner they get into the nitty gritty of your relationship. They ask you about your childhood. They ask you, you know, what are your relationships like with your family now as an adult? Like and then they write it all up. So it's sort oh, of like reading your memoir. Yeah. And then you have to read it and sign it and say, like, yes, this is true.
0: But oh, yeah, good it's Lord.
2: crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it was so weird to read, you know. I'll bet. Like, <laughs> who would write a memoir about me besides that?
0: So, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, what's, what's interesting to me is, and one of the things that you all have touched on and something that, that we touched base on very briefly before this is the savior complex, uh, associated with foster care. And, I I don't know if going through that will disabuse you of that notion just a little bit, because I can imagine having that kind of mirror held up to you has got to at least contextualize yourself a little bit better and maybe like push some of that savior complex away. I don't know. I'm speculating here, but I'm interested in your take on it.
2: So you would think, right? But I think you're not going to get involved in this unless you think you can make a difference. right? So- I would say for me, I thought I didn't have any safer complex. You know, we even like um, the, the trailer of our podcast, we like dive into it. We were like, we're going to get right into the nitty gritty of it. And then, you know, we had our first placement and some of it came up and I was like, wow, you know, like I it reared its ugly head in ways. And I was like, you know, I thought I had checked myself for that. But I was talking to another foster mom um, who's going to come out in an upcoming interview. And she was like, you know what? It's just impossible to completely eliminate it. And you you do, like, you know, you're not going to do this unless you have some optimism, right? And and not to say that you shouldn't strive to have a positive impact. I think that's a really good thing to do. But I think it can be so easy to forget, like, hey, like, my job isn't to heal a kid completely. That's not possible even, you know, like, my job isn't to... You, like, that's the other thing I think is like, I've learned, like, I can't base success on what's happening with the kids in my home. There's only so much you can control and you have to redefine success in a lot of ways. Right. Mm. Like I grew up, we grew up, Rachel and I, the expectation is you go to school. Well, a lot of times in the foster care system, kids, especially teenagers, I have had the most experiences teenagers. They're not going to go to school every day and no one can force them to do that. Right. You can't physically pick up like a 14 <laughs> right. to 16 year old and place them in the car. Like that's just not going to happen. Right. So, that's, that's totally impractical. Right, right. And so like, you know, you have to tell your team, you know, sometimes, and I, I sometimes I felt like a failure, you know, mm. um, and going to parent teacher conferences, I was a little embarrassed. But you know, what I learned, though, is like, you know, what? but I can base success on how am I growing as a person, which I think is what Rachel touched on too before, right? That's one of our main things is like, that's something I can control. And I think what this work does is it really invites you to go deeper in terms of your own self growth.
1: And I think what's important about that, too, is, you know, you need to be aware and call yourself out when Mm -hmm. you feel like you're playing in the role of savior complex, because it really does shape your emotion towards the child. Right. Like as you know, a mentor, I feel like if I'm expecting her to do something or if I'm expecting that my advice is what she's going to take and then she doesn't take it, I'm going to be angry. And I feel like kids can notice your change in behavior and they can realize, okay, well, why why is she mad at me in this moment when this is a continuous pattern that I'm doing? So why is she now just mad? So I think being aware of that, calling yourself out so that you can, reach the kid on a more like positive emotional level
0: that I mean that rings so true with me because I, I teach boot camp for new dads. And so that's a thing where you have these rookie dads and they're getting ready to have their first child. And then we bring in veteran dads and they have kids who are between two and eight months old usually. And what's interesting is everyone thinks I'm never going to be that parent, right? Mm-hmm. I'm never mm-hmm. going to do that. Or I see parents doing this That's the wrong way of doing it. And until you're in it, and I think about even particularly with something like potty training, if you've ever gone through potty training with a child who doesn't take to it right away, you end up getting more frustrated at yourself because you're thinking to yourself, why can't I get you to do this? This is so easy. What's wrong with me? Right? So those moments where you have this crisis of confidence, it's not so much about whoever you're mentoring or the foster kid or even your own biological kid. You're sort of reckoning with your own perceived failures. Is that what I hear you saying?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you said it perfectly because it's it's actually amazing how much we put on ourselves for somebody else's actions.
0: Yeah, that's really well stated, Rachel. That's Yeah, that's really good.
1: I, I
2: would add, too, to that, that a lot of times with foster parenting, what happens, too, is, like, you realize your own traumas get triggered. And right. so... Oh, true, yeah. That's also huge, too, right? Like, certain situations that you wouldn't expect to be huge emotional things for you can be. But I, I'm sure that's the same with parenting in general, too, right? Like, I'm sure it's a little bit the same, but, like, you might relive parts of your childhood a little bit or, you know, remember stuff or... I don't know. It's just it's just interesting because I think, yeah, that's another layer to it is... Yeah. You know especially when you're dealing with big traumas or big behaviors is what they should use <laughs> big behaviors is the term,
0: big the behaviors. term for
2: big big <laughs> happening big crazy things happening yeah it can it can it can bring up a lot of feelings deep inside you, and it's like, oh hey, like that's some self work I need to do so I'm like a huge advocate of you know going to therapy. it's something that I do, and I've yeah. been with kids in care about that too that are in my home of like, yeah, that's something I do is I go there and I work on myself, you know.
0: Well, and I, I think about, in particular, big behaviors, by the way, coming to TBS this fall. Uh, <laughs> but I'll uh, watch it. <laughs> you think about a movie like The Blind Side, right? Mm. Where Sandra Bullock has to explain to Michael Oher that, you know, think of the quarterback as your family, and these guys are trying to attack your family. Look, he's an offensive lineman and a successful one. I don't think he needs that explained to him. But in terms of a media narrative in in my estimation, might contribute to some of this savior complex. You see something like that and you go, look at the difference she made. The movie lasts an hour and a half or two hours or whatever. The work, man, is much longer and much less glamorous than that. Um, do you find yourselves, as you're talking about this issue, having to fight against media narratives in that way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think what's also kind of interesting too is is not only just those narratives that we're fighting against, but I think also too is some of the things that you think that is like quote-unquote common sense, like how people fall into a family dynamic. And I know Natasha you can touch on this with your foster experience, but I think it's actually quite interesting how people don't often like, children, if they're not placed in a family dynamic or it's been broken, they don't know the role that they play in a family, which I think is, which I know, Natasha, you can probably elaborate on that.
2: Sure. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up, Rachel, because, yeah, I think there's so many assumptions beyond the media. And I'm glad you brought that up, John, too, because... Especially to all over Instagram, I see these posts and it's like, oh, you know, after so many days in adoption, you know, or foster care, I was adopted. They, like, that's beautiful, right? But right. a lot of people think that's when the work ends. Okay. Well, right. when a kid's adopted, like that, that is an ongoing thing. They're going to have to process that at every stage of development. They don't owe it to you to be happy. Like that's the other thing too is foster kids. Are they going to be happy they're with you or kids in care? We try to say instead of foster kids. Sure. But are they going to be happy that they're with you versus their family? You know, in most cases, not. You know, that's, that's their mom and their dad, you know? So yeah, that there's all, all sorts of assumptions. But yes, what Rachel is saying is so true. And that's why foster care is so cyclical because how can we expect people who haven't been a part of a family to know how to create their own families or to be a part of other families? And like Rachel is saying, it's crazy, you know, what some of these kids have been through. And again, you know, it runs a continuum. I don't want to be melodramatic or anything, but you know, there's <laughs> reasons why kids are removed from homes. Of right? course. Yes. And Oftentimes the abuse has been going on for years, right? Because you know, when a, when a child isn't school age, there's not that many people monitoring them usually. So usually you know, it's not until they're in school that a teacher is like, hey, something's happening. And, you know, what kids do you age to go to school? You know, they're like five or six at least at that age, right? So it's like years, you know, sometimes. And, you know, a lot of times these families might not have a lot of support or, um, you know, people that can be looking out for them. So, you know, a lot of times or sometimes I should say, you know, kids will try to be parents, too, based on the age. Like maybe they were the parents in the home. You know what I mean? Like they, sure. they, were, they were momming or dadding mom and dad. So it can be... It can be hard to, you know, create a healthy dynamic.
0: I, I am struck by something that you said, which is everyone always tries to find their role in the family. Mm-hmm. And in my own small way, I always had a problem with every boss I ever had except for one. Mm-hmm. And like that to me, I never felt like I knew exactly where I fit inside a corporate culture. And so like I relate to that on that very small level. I mean, and we're talking about two different types of things here, but the energy is kind of the same where you go, Oh, okay. I don't know how I slot in to this existing culture, this existing family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so like, how do I navigate that? Especially because I'm a kid, right? Like where do I fit? I don't even have the, the tools necessarily to even be able to name that. So right. f- for you to to articulate that and bring that to light, I think that's really helpful because, you know, we, we expect kids to be like, oh, okay, you're my new family unit. You're my new mom and dad, whatever. I don't think it works that clean based no, on what you just told not- me.
2: We've talked on the podcast, too, how like there's no good term, right? For what it is that we even are, right? Like, like a foster parent is such a weird term, you know, it's just a legal term. Because, you know, when, when teens are older that are coming into your home, like they might be just like, I don't even want a parental figure. And a lot of times, like these kids too, they have contact with their parents, you know, they're not looking for a mom and a dad, right? You're so there's not there's not like a great word for what it is that you are. And it's different, right? Every kid has like different needs and all of that. So It's so different. Something Rachel and I talk about, too, is like each family's its own culture. And so, you know, even if even if it's just not any kid coming into your home, right, like one of your um kids friends or something. Right. It's going to be a little different and there's going to be a little bit of a culture clash regardless. But sometimes these cases are so extreme. Right. In terms of what what they think is like normalized or okay behavior that really isn't. And you have to be like, whoa, 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 you know. Yeah. Without making yeah. a huge deal out of it. Yeah.
1: Sure. And especially, too, like, if you think about it, you know, a lot of times these kids, you know, in, in foster care, it's like they will be with their parents, their biological parents, and they'll go to different foster families. And so it's a lot of like integration and a lot of different roles that then they're trying to figure out, okay, well, at this home, I was this way, this home, they expected this. So there's different expectations, different cultures in each of those homes. But I think the older the kid gets, yes, kids are adaptable, but at the same time, if a kid is consistently having to change, because family is like your home zone, right? And like the place that you're spending the most time at. And so if that's consistently changing, it's almost like they're trying to, ch- they're trying to figure out what their identity is. Right. And I think that there's just so much like hurt and trauma with that too.
0: Who are these people? Where do I fit? And as a result of that, who am I? Like, what mm-hmm. part of me do I hang on to? And then what part of me is sort of malleable, the way that you put it, to fitting in to to this culture? And do I want to? And if I do, to what extent do I want to? Right?
2: Yeah. And you know, John, though, too, I mean, I think we're thinking, like, yes, maybe some of that's going on. But I honestly think a lot of it is just survival. Like, they're literally just thinking, how can I survive the next day? And we talk about it in, like, trauma-informed parenting training is, like, The lid is flipped a lot of the time, which means like their brain is just in survival mode and they are not even able to sometimes understand what you're saying. Like, literally, like you have to sometimes just be like, you know, repeat two or three word like commands, you know, almost like, okay, like, you know, now it's time to get your coat on. So that's something that was really helpful for me to know is like, sometimes, you know, I could think, oh, you know, this teenager, you know, who's smart is being really disrespectful. Because I've said we need to leave at this time multiple times, but it's just like a survival <laughs> mechanism sometimes yeah. for them just to like you know they're just not hearing like sometimes you know, I'll have to say things three or four times for it to kind of click or them to even realize like, hey, she's talking to me. Um, and that's what I think is just can be so heartbreaking because it's like a lot of times these kids are aging out of the system with yeah. so little life skills and the stats of kids aging out and Justin got into that too in that previous podcast is so dire. Like Rachel is saying, you can't even separate it from prison because it's so tied because, you know, a lot of these youth end up in jail. Most end up living on less than $8,000 a year when they first get out of foster care. And, you know, many end up homeless. It's just like, well, no wonder because, you know, when you're in survival mode and it's interesting too, because um, we had a placement and we asked, you know, can we set up a bank account for her? And we had to go through, you know, the red tape. And they said, We've never been asked that before.
0: Oh, God, like, well, really? How,
2: how many? Yeah, how many kids are aging out of the system without ever having a bank account or even knowing what that is? You know, when you think about... That's the other thing, too, is I think foster care brings you into contact with so many more different types of people than you would. Yeah. We tend to stay right within our same socioeconomic, ethnic bubble. But, you know, there's people that are unbanked, right? There's many sure. families that are unbanked, you know, and that's a reality for a lot of people. But, yeah, it can be like, oh, hey, you know, like... How are they supposed to figure that out? Then, on top of everything else, like making a living. And well,
0: and of- and there's a whole world of predators out there, uh, right? Like, I mean, absolutely. Just talking about banking. I mean, there's so many predatory banking institutions mm-hmm. out there available for like just ready to prey on people who have no experience, and you know you can sell people a bill of goods really easily that way. I mean, we we've talked about Justin a bit. Uh, one other common link between us is Sherry Shink, mm-hmm. who started the Rocky Mountain Children's Law Center which is a remarkable organization. I'm I'm interested in this question because Justin brought it up too. This is, I mean, just an incredibly complex issue with so many different types of problems associated with it. It's an intersection of the public sector and the private sector. And one of the things that you brought up to me was the importance of informal supports, you know, kind of non-governmental organizations. And I'm curious... In terms of making this system better for everyone, is there a model that works? Is it a combination of public and private things? Because sometimes I worry about the the further privatization of the social safety net, which is essentially what we're talking about here. And there are organizations like the Rocky Mountain Children's Law Center that are really helpful, but they're kind of dependent upon people's goodwill, as opposed to having a mechanism that we take care of ourselves uh, through kind of more of a blanket way. Uh, I've thrown a lot at you. I'd welcome any reaction either of you have to it.
2: I'm, I'm really glad you're bringing this up because change needs to happen. And that's something that Rachel and I are always talk about on the podcast too, right? Like we, these kids deserve better, you know, we're letting them down and it's a huge impact across our society. It's, it's an invisible problem, but it's everywhere. Yeah. So informal supports, I think is part of the solution. And I don't think that completely privatizing it is the way to go. I think it really needs to be, you know, both the public and the private sector. And in terms of informal supports, Sherry Shink actually, she just started a new organization called Cobbled Streets. Hmm. And I think that organization can be a framework for how private agency, private organizations can come in and really support the work that is being done and fill in the cracks in a way that they don't have to go through a ton of red tape. So an example of this is like, Sherry got a call from a foster family and they had like three teenagers or something like that. And their washer and dryer broke. And they were like, you know, we just really need a washer and dryer. And they weren't able to get it any other way. So she went out and she bought them a washer and dryer through cobbled streets, you know? Wow. And so sometimes there is like these things that seem small or insignificant that make a huge, huge impact. For example, um, Foster source provides free therapy services for foster parents. And they said this came out of COVID where there were so many parents at the end of their rope wanting just being like, I cannot do this anymore. And so I, they I like, felt that way with my own help? kids. I can't imagine I what everyone, it was like. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. And so they were like, we're at the end of our rope. And so they were like, what can we do? You know, and that free therapy service, like, They've been able to have parents who were on the brink of being like, I don't think I can do this anymore, yeah. to just being like, I can do this, right? And we need organizations like that that are, like, super flexible, can see a need and fill it really fast, and it not be taking months, right? Because right. sometimes foster care legislation gets passed, and the things that were promised, you know, like um, free child care support, doesn't actually happen because the budget's not there. Well, and, so and, we and need- the
0: mechanisms of government are arcane, and right. like you know like it takes time to work through bureaucracy so it like if you have right. a smaller organization that's more nimble is what i hear you saying they can fulfill that need like a little bit quicker but like that Absolutely. that that on its own is not going to solve the problem either right and like, i
2: think though that like coming in and being able to have a quick response is so necessary because you know a lot of times a placement will they call it like disrupt like it gets to the point that it cannot go on as it is and Every time that happens, it's a re-trauma for the child. And it makes it that much harder for them to build good relationships in the future. Yeah, like I was saying, sometimes it can be those things where, like, let's get therapy in right away, you know, for the foster care. And that can be that game-changer that then allows that kid to be able to stay there and form a healthy relationship and have a healthy family one time for their own families. Also, Hope 40 was mentioned, too, in a previous podcast episode. Her organization has been renamed to Families Together. That's something where... You know, you sign up to volunteer and give a meal once a month to a family in your community. And that community support is so important. And sometimes for foster families, that's so hard to get because they feel like no one else really gets this, yeah. right? Like sometimes people defriend them, right? Because their kids have such big behaviors and they're worried about their own kids or it's embarrassing, you know, to be seen in public. And that community is just so, so integral. So there's stuff like that that is, I think, definitely
1: part of the solution.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Rachel, anything to add to that?
1: No, I mean, I just completely agree. I think that those private sectors, it's really, you know, trying to recap what you guys are saying, but completely agree. It's just a lot of red tape that you don't have to go through. And kind of what Natasha is saying, it really helps with that speed um, when necessary. And I also think too, is if people are wanting to do it in those private sectors, there's more heart and there's more love in that. And so it's more like, Oh, like I'm making this meal and I made it out of love. Not oftentimes I'm doing it cause I got a paycheck and right. you know, I'd rather not just because I have all these other meals to do. So I think eliminating that is something that definitely should not be. And I think you kind of do need both for sure, because I think um, the private sector shouldn't be responsible for all of the rules. Right. Um, so to have both, I think is very important.
0: <clears throat> I think it's tough because each has its role. Each has its need. If you can get them to work together, which isn't always the easiest thing to do, like that's where real change happens. But, you know, each have their drawbacks, each have their advantages. How do you minimize each one's downfall and maximize each one's advantage? Man, it, like, it's tough. And there, there are so many factors that you have to account for in dealing with that. And we all have kind of a limited sphere of influence here as well. So, you know, h- how, do you, how do you navigate those tensions? And I, I think that's largely what your show is dedicated towards unpacking and figuring out.
2: Right. And I would say, too, you know, we've also kind of found another hole, which is that people aren't aware of all the resources in their community when it comes to foster care. Like even longtime foster parents are unaware of all these great organizations in their community doing good work. And a lot of times organizations that serve, you know, foster families or kids in care they're not aware of each other either, and so that's why you know we're working on launching out a database of comprehensive foster care resources. We're going to start with Colorado, and then the hope is to make it nationwide because that will allow for some greater collaboration like you're talking about because that's a huge piece of this. And then also we want to make it so much easier for people to be able to get plugged in. It took me hours to figure out how I even start to become a foster parent and what the process yeah. was you know, and I'm very web literate, like I build websites. So like, it shouldn't shouldn't take that long. And I was like, well, how many people, you know, are just stopping at that point? Because it's kind of confusing to navigate that whole thing. We want to make it easy for people to figure out how they can volunteer, right? Or how they can donate. And like I said, too, we want to make it easier for organizations to see what each other is doing in the community and partner in just really powerful ways.
1: I think what's also interesting, too, is Is in doing the podcast, we've both like realized people in our own personal lives that are like, wow, I want to get involved. I just never knew how or, you know, I didn't know where to go or I didn't know this was an option. Um, Just because even like mentoring or going to a group home or doing respite care, like all these different avenues, people were thinking, oh, well, I thought I just had to be a foster parent to be involved. And that meant like 15 years of my life. Like, you know, I think just uncovering that and then also making it a spot where, Hey, here's all the information that you can get because I think that the more that people have knowledge about and also the knowledge of the helpful tools that come with, I think it just is going to help more people um, have that desire.
0: Now I, I agree with you 100%. And I mean, I've been podcasting now for seven years and I will maintain that podcasting is the most intimate genre of, Storytelling of media that exists because you get to hear people speak candidly over a long form and you cannot fake like whatever you're trying to fake for as long as we're talking like that. That's just that's too long unless you're like some weird sociopath. But (laughs) but the other thing is audio this is, this is where, like, I part ways with a lot of podcasts that will, like, record themselves doing it via video. Podcasting with audio only forces people to engage their imaginations. And if you can engage their imaginations because they have to make the picture themselves in their brain, you touch their hearts in a different way. And so that's why when I found out that you all had this podcast, but it's sort of the, I'd, I'd call it a nexus point. Not, maybe not the nexus point, but a nexus point. For a lot of the work that you're doing, I go, that's brilliant, that's perfect, that's exactly like the way they should be doing it for this issue in particular. So,
2: no, I really appreciate that, and you know, we've gotten feedback from listeners that they cry sometimes listening to our episodes, and we we've had interviewees too who cry and sharing their story, and they're really generous and how personal they get. You know, especially some of the former foster youth. You know, and they don't—they don't owe it to us to do that by any means. So, I think that's something that's really powerful, and I'm just so thankful for all the people who've trusted us to tell their story because these are really incredible stories.
0: Well, anytime anyone is willing to engage with you in this sort of format and be open and be vulnerable and be honest, and if you ask the right question, man, you will open an entire world for people. And so, I mean, I. I'm a crier by nature. You can see this. I'm getting a little misty right now. Um, but like that's that's the way this kind of genre goes. And so um, in terms of your podcast, uh, is it where you want it to be? Uh, are you on the ascent? What, what level of success have you found and where do you hope it goes? That's
2: a great question. Yeah, I'd say I'm proud of where we are and we have bigger goals, but I'm proud of where we are. We were able to get funded. Um, we've been funded the whole time. So, through House of Pod, we got funding for our first season and we got into their incubator program, which was phenomenal. They're terrific and folks then, over the,
0: oh, by the awesome. way. Like, they
2: we, sort of, we were connected through them, I guess, informally in a way, because. In a way, yeah. Uh, second degree. Um, <laughs> it's and like then, Kevin Bacon. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're all connected through House of Pod if you're a Denver podcaster. Right. You know, we had something that we could show, you know, different foster organizations and different businesses in the community. And that's how we got funded for our second season. And actually now we're partnering with foster care agencies who use our podcast for training.
0: Oh, that's so we awesome. We built a
2: training portal around the podcast and then um, blog posts too. that kind of enrich the experience. You know, I'm really proud of that because we are so dedicated to diversity. And I feel like our podcast is something that isn't out there. You know, we're the only BIPOC hosted podcast on foster care, which I find mind-blowing. And, you know, we're the only foster care podcast out there that I've been able to find that really centers non-foster parent voices as well, right? We go through foster care professionals, like I said, former foster youth, all of that. So really to have that full picture and like we talked about too, like all different perspectives and backgrounds and religions and ethnicities and, you know, sexual orientations and socioeconomic status. I think when that all comes together, you know, you just can't deny the power of that. So the community we've been able to really get some great partnerships going and people are really responding and seeing the value of what we're doing. But yeah, we definitely want to get bigger and bigger because, you know, we think, you know, our job isn't done. Right. Right. So many, so many kids that we can all play a role in helping them have a better tomorrow.
0: Well, it's interesting. Sorry, Rachel. I'm going to interject very quickly. If you can see it, you can be it. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I know in my bones, I have a master's degree in communication studies. Representation matters. And so the fact that you are the only podcast, uh, the only BIPOC podcast about this issue. I mean, that to me is opening doors like beyond what I think you even know right now. And so I think that will come to fruition further down the line. So Rachel, back to you.
1: No, you said it perfectly because that's exactly what I was going to say. Like as I feel like we grow, the more – I think that we're going to be open to this world because I think that every person that we have, it's their individual story and looking at everyone's perspective and trying to gather that. There's so many different perspectives because everyone is so unique and different that I just think it's, you know, the bigger we get, really, it will still always continuously be growing because there's so many people's stories that um, I just think are so powerful and need to be told and also th- that we can learn from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. We uh, we need to wrap up. But um, now's the time in the show when we do plugs. Where can people find you? Where can they find the Just a Special Podcast? Anything you want to plug right now, please do it now. And I will make sure to put this in the show notes, whether you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your pods. Also on the companion blog piece, johnofalltrades.us, you'll find all these links here give them to us. Uh, Let's hear them.
2: Sure. So you can listen to the podcast and learn all about us at justaspecial.com. There is a place for you to submit um, resources in the community about foster care. If you know of some great organizations, please take a moment to do that and help us. And there's also an opportunity to volunteer with us remotely. So just like from your own home virtually, Um, we're looking for people to help us build out that resource database. And so there's a form on our website that's really easy to find. Again, that's justaspecial.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, all at just as special.
0: Nice. All right. Well, like I said, those will go in the show notes as well as on on the companion blog piece. I'd like to give a shout out to Kevin and Art for getting us hooked up here. A couple of good-hearted guys who I am proud to be in their orbit. Natasha, Rachel, this was an enormous pleasure. I am so happy in my own small way, to be able to highlight your story, highlight what you all are doing because your work is incredible, and as you go forward, I wish you nothing but continued success.
2: Thank you, and thank you also for creating this space for us to come and talk about this. Um, I just really appreciate on your show like that empathy piece that you seem to really exude you know and when I've listened to the other episodes and just this mentality right of like we're in it all together. I think if more people had that mentality, then the world would be that much more beautiful.
1: Yeah, honestly, it was a pleasure. So thank you so much.
0: And that'll do it for episode 288 of the John of All Trades podcast with Rachel and Natasha Pepperell. Man, what a great show. What tremendous insight and what an important issue. Be sure to check them out at their podcast, Just As Special. That's com. The link to that is in the show notes. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever, or the John of All Trades companion blog piece, johnofalltrades.us. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I do all manner of PR. I'm also a podcast producer. In addition to this show, I produce three others. So, if you have an idea for a podcast, hit me up. I can help you get it formed, and I can help you produce it. So shoot me an email, J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is Four Degrees, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Goods, services, products, campaigns. If you're trying to reach someone online, 4Degrees can help you get that message right, identify the audience, and then come up with a strategy that marries those two beautifully. have been my sponsor since episode one. Proud to feature their work here. Number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. That's all for me this week. I think next week it's time for a solo episode. I haven't done a mailbag episode in a while, so if you're listening to this, you want to send me a question, do it at J-O-N at D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S or on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram are all under the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pot. I'll put the call out here soon, but until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie.